can't get enough tabletop role-playing game zines? Subscribe to Broke Games Patreon to get a new print or digital role-playing game zine every month. Our zines are filled with modular dungeons, wild magic items, unique procedures, and inspiring spark tables. This month's zine takes place in a floating goblin fortress torn by competing factions. Will you support the Goblin King, join the Resistance, or restore the tunnels to their creator, the Grub Mother? Play Gabico, the Floating Goblin Fortress, to find out. Subscribe at patreon.com slash games or buy direct at brokehoodgames.com. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logard the Barbarian. And today I'm joined by Skeeter Green of SGP Skeeter, Skeeter Green Productions. Welcome. I like you wouldn't you wouldn't believe how many people actually say that. I have been called Squeeter, Screeter, uh Shitter. Oh, it, no. it, gets, it, gets, it gets worse. I always worse, butcher but, name. I, I butcher. I butcher the English language. Period. But I, I'm always butchering names and stuff on here. It's horrible. I feel oh, like I, I just never remember anybody's name. That that's my worst thing. I meet like a bunch of people at a convention, and five seconds later, I'm looking around for one of my friends. Who was that? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to. I, I have my little notepad yep. here as I as I record. I write down names and everything. Else for yeah, I've got I've got two full size notepads, one for each hand. <laughs> So you you have Skeeter Green Productions, which is currently got, probably got a Kickstarter going on right now and just had another one that these are. Tell us a bit about those you've got going on. We'll start there. I'm curious. OK, so the first ones it just closed about a month or two ago is the Valley Out of Time. And that was for part one and two of a six kind of small zine size book project so six six different parts to that parts three and four are actually dropping on kickstarter may 24th which is tomorrow when we're recording this but we'll actually be back in time when, <laughs> it, when this comes out so the valley out of time it makes sense that you know you're not tethered to this linear uh, explanation of time and and it's a human construct and i'm not going to get all <laughs> psycho and weird about it but this is a conversation uh, yeah, i'd like, love to have <laughs> oh my god i have this whole theory about time being like soap bubbles but anyway we won't get into that right now that's that's gonna have to be after some edibles and just hanging out and in some cushy chairs i'm down to record i'm down to do this at some point in time the edibles and all is for sure <laughs> for sure i've got uh I've got a couple of buddies that would love to sit in and, and throw their two cents into that as well, I'm sure. So to, what a valley out of time. I, now that I'll say I, I backed the first two, those delivered like super quick, some of the quickest Kickstarters I've ever had delivered. Uh, well, thank you. That was pretty impressive. Well, that that was the plan. I do some small publisher seminars in my copious amounts of free time, <laughs> which there aren't any. But one of the things that I tell people, especially when they do Kickstarters, is have your Kickstarter done before you launch. Now, the one that's launching tomorrow is not completely done. 
I'm, I'm finishing up the writing on part four, but part three is done. It just needs to go to layout and then it goes to print and then we're done. I don't like those things when you back a Kickstarter and it's like, oh, in three years, we're going to get you this product. It's like, what? <laughs> no, no, not happening. But yes, I, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things Kickstarter is doing right now is they're really cracking down on you can't start a Kickstarter unless your previous Kickstarter has fulfilled. So it's kind of a, all right, let's move. Let's get this thing going. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, now that, so there's going to be six total parts. I'm, I'm just curious after all six come out, will there be a large compiled version of some sort or omnibus? So <clears throat> I've gone back and forth about that. And what will happen in, in the part five and six Kickstarter is there will be one compiled book and it'll be book size. It'll be eight and a half by 11. That will be for the fifth edition rule set. I haven't, the way these have gone out is it's been swords and wizardry and DCC and MCC up till now, the final one will have um, fifth edition rules and it'll be in a, you know, book like fifth edition players are used to. Uh, I will be adding some color pictures uh, some illustrations in there a little bit more fifth edition but i think for the compiled set for the swords and wizardry and the dcc yeah. i think i'm going box set oh that would be nice <laughs> I, I, I think i'm i think i'm going box set and of course there will be some extras if you choose to buy the compiled box set version you know that that kind of whole thing you know carrot and stick carrot <laughs> and stick man one of the nice things, like you got the Swords and Wizardry compatible and DCC compatible, that Swords and Wizardry stats are identical to that, like like uh, old school essentials and, right. and a lot of the like if you're playing Osric based things, you can run it with Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. And honestly, this this campaign might be a good one to take with Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of, of Hyperborea. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll definitely fit in. Um, just for the huge, you know umbrella level 32nd elevator pitch it is all of the frazetta paintings and the roy crankle paintings and the um land the time forgot movie posters you know raquel welch and her fuzzy bikini that kind of thing from like the late 60s and the 70s you know the the sinbad ray harryhausen Oh, yeah. <laughs> that a lot of us grew up on this campaign is that that is you know, i've had this stuff going on my computer screens as i'm writing um all of this stuff i'm a huge fan of that and that's what i wanted to throw out to people and and see how it would go now you've done a lot uh a lot of stuff outside of uh, outside of this as well and maybe not all of our listeners are familiar with all of your work and i may not know all of your work i'm familiar with some of your work for the past that i have <laughs> i'm i'm curious how long have you been how long have you been doing this how long have you been putting out modules and stuff like that because i've got quite a few that you've written over the years so the first time i got paid to write something was from bastion press which people probably don't even remember uh, it was it was an open call for spells and magic, and I sold two spells, and I got like $5, and I thought, holy shit, I am the king of the world right now, <laughs> uh, and that was 22 years ago. Oh, wow. So, um, 
Yeah, I would have hoped I would be like further along and and more powerful in the D&D empire than I am, but I I do this for fun, you know. I'm not trying to make this my day job. Mm-hmm. Uh I just want to I'm kind of elitist in the in the vibe that I want to put out stuff I want to see. You know, I would buy everything that I've put out cuz it's interesting to me. And like I tell people, D&D is like pizza. Everybody has their own combination of stuff that really hits the sweet spot for them. So uh, if you want to take a look, please, by all means, I won't be personally outraged if you don't think my D&D is your flavor of pizza. <laughs> no, I, here's, I, I had a question. I'm not sure if I should ask this on here. Oh, ask me. It. I, I, yeah, I may make be it off. uncomfortable. I may be wrong. <laughs> Did you work on Bardsgate? Uh, so Bardsgate is actually an interesting story. Yes, I worked for 10, 12 years at Frog God Games, mm-hmm. owner, writer, developer, editor, all that stuff. And actually, my company came from finishing up working on The Blight for mm-hmm. Frog God Games. I ran that. <laughs> well, part of it. I get that the whole entire thing. It's a lot there. So I did both conversions for Rappanathic with with a team of people. When I say I did it, it's like I was the one trying to herd the cats. Uh, (laughs) Bardsgate, a little bit with the Pathfinder side of the Blight and then a ton of the Swords and Wizardry side. But I had worked with this team of just great people at Frog God. And I decided one day am I good at doing this because I have this team or am I good at doing this because I have a reasonable level of ability? So that's what made me go out and start SGP is to see if I could do it on my own. And I ended up using a bunch of the freelancers that I used at Frog God. So I was like, ah, okay. So it's not that much of a stretch, but yeah, it's so Bardsgate, getting back to your actual questions, <laughs> went all over the place. I was going to quit RPGs after Bardsgate because it was just, it was so much work. And as much as I loved it, I was just done. I was fried. I, I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, my wife and I went to Gen Con 50, which is right after Bardsgate came out. And they did uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. They did the whole, you know, history of D&D in there. And it's like a museum displays and all this stuff. And I'm going through and it's like, oh, my God, first edition, you know, uh, first brown boxes and all that <laughs> stuff. And one of my buddies, Bill Meinhart, a lot of his collection is in there. He has the biggest D&D collection there is. Anyway, so I'm, I'm wandering around through all of this stuff and checking it out. And I'm telling my wife, oh, God, I used to have this box, you know, and I feel like an eight-year-old kid. I'm just <laughs> going through all this stuff and checking it out. And we get around to the end, and I'm looking at this glass case, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, doing the dog head thing, tilted over, not really figuring out what I'm seeing. In the Bardsgate Kickstarter, Bill Webb, the primary owner of Frog God Games and Necromancer Games, decided one day that he wanted to make these metal-covered books. What? So they're, they're okay. actually metal-engraved. He had 
a blacksmith and a bookbinder work on these couple of books and they are they're bulletproof i mean they're giant plate but the one for bard's gate was in that glass case oh and i just uh, there my wife took a picture i laid down next to it like i was you know curled up next yeah. to it on the ground and because a book that i worked on was in the museum for D, that kind of replenished my go to do it and so how many of the metal plated books ended up like was there just one copy of, of specific ones or was there oh no there was or, I don't oh yeah no there that. there was like a dozen of each really? one mate yeah there was bardsgate and i think uh i think the blight had one i'm not sure book. if razor <laughs> coast did Stoneheart Valley, I think, had one. I worked on that one as well. Yeah, I've ran that. Uh, I yeah. definitely ran the Stoneheart, and I've got the original modules that those were taken from from Necromancer Games as well. <laughs> I I caught so much shit for changing the title because that was supposed to be Tomb of Abasthor, mm -hmm. but we took Tomb of Abasthor and the Wizard's Amulet and Crucible of Freya and kind of all merged it together. And I was like, well, it's not Tomb of Abastor anymore. It's the Stoneheart Valley because lots going on there. Oh, man, I got called into the principal's office. <laughs> I, I, that got put on my permanent record. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't let anybody know until it was go time and it was too late <laughs> to change. So I may be a petty god, but <laughs> <laughs> it works. But I oh. get my way. So you've been doing this for, for 22 years. So what was it that like that initially, like you said, there was a couple spells you had written. So how did you, how did you get to that point where you were kind of working out there, getting a lot of your stuff out there? How did you get into the industry? So let's say. Well, I had, I have been playing since the late seventies. So I have, you know, at this point, God, 44 years in or something like that. <laughs> and I always thought, you know, it would, it would be cool to have my name on a book, <laughs> you know, and I, and I did the whole thing where I submitted stuff to dragon magazine and dungeon magazine and Chris Perkins sending me the letters. Oh, thank you for your submission. But at this time, <laughs> oh, no. I've talked to him a couple of times about that because i tell him oh yeah chris uh, i still remember getting those letters he's like <laughs> i don't even remember sending them out you know because they they got so so much material um and it just never worked out for me i kept getting the no thank you we're not going to take your submission and then it started getting like oh well i'm going to make this happen and i'm going to jam it down your throat and <laughs> we're gonna you know it got that kind of oh you think i'm not good enough you wait it was very motivating and probably exactly what somebody like me needed to have happen. And that's, that's a little bit how I got into frog God back when they were necromancer games is say back in the, the 3.0 days, a lot of companies had open calls like, Hey, here's a contest, uh, submit a creature or a spell or a trap. That was, that was how I got, in the necromancer message boards and casey christopherson hated doing the game mechanics he just okay. like he's an artist so he just liked doing the cool artsy you know i'm gonna write and we're gonna do this hey man can you do the math on these maps and i could churn that stuff out 
so that's how I kind of got picked up and and God, it's one of those classic things, man. Don't ever let anybody know you can do something well because you will have to do it all the time after that. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. So lots of maps? Maps, not so much. Uh, I did have to do Zach Glazer of Frog God Games and I on the on the 5e conversion of Rappanathic yeah. took every single map in that dungeon and we went over it and we fixed them all. Cause it had been you know 10 years that they had had oh this map doesn't match the description at all or <laughs> hey these rooms don't connect what's going on and i couldn't do photoshop at the time to save my life so so we we're sharing this document on like zoom and i'm telling zach oh change this to go here and change this to go there and i'm sure he wanted to murder me at some points but you know it product came out great that's great. That's really great good. to hear. So you said you started playing in the late 70s. I'd love to hear how you started playing, how you started got into playing the game and whatnot, and some of your history with the game. Yeah, I can I've tracked down actually the day that I first played. <laughs> I can't I can't even I can't even figure out the exact year when I first started role playing. <laughs> you had love the day. Because <laughs> what happened was I we were we went over to my aunt and uncle's house because the seattle supersonics were playing basketball in the championship so ah. everybody was over there to watch the game and i got bored so i went down in the basement and my cousin and some of his school friends playing this game and and they said hey do you want to play and i'm like i guess i all i saw was paper everywhere like, <laughs> i don't know how to do this so they they showed me how to play Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, they ganged up and killed my character. Oh, no. But but the hook was baited. <laughs> and and I, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Because I'm a huge fan of the Herculoids. So they they started equating it to me like, well, you remember on the Herculoids when this happened? <laughs> I was like oh shit yeah cool that's what we're doing <laughs> right on so i got into that and then like right after that i was in school and a kid brought in his basic set and he he showed everybody and i was like well i don't get it because because we had three little books and your your set is different how can this be the same game and then you know my mind was blown and then the advanced dungeons and dragons player's handbook came to the bookstore that my parents used to dump me off at when they would go shopping back you know in the days when you could do that so yeah it just it became a thing off that one play and i spent the next 40 plus years reading gaming everything i didn't i didn't take the 10 year break to you know have a actual life i've <laughs> just been doing this the whole time nice stuff so you've been through a lot a lot of addition i've started role playing with games besides DD &D in the late 80s and then i picked up DD about some years later and the first thing i played was second edition so i'm yeah. assuming you've been through is there an edition you haven't played yet i haven't played fourth edition extensively just because it 
I didn't really have the opportunity and I'm not as much of a, a war gamer and that's kind of miniatures based you know figures and and it's hearkening back to kind of doing the war gaming but no I played every edition of D&D I played a couple a couple of games of Call of Cthulhu but I could never get my friends to play it because they just weren't (laughs) interested so I didn't get hardcore back into that until the last you know half a dozen years and for Gary Khan this year that was just in March I got to write a Call of Cthulhu a scenario that was official Cassium. I got the logo and everything Excellent. for the convention. Uh-huh. And I ran that and I ran that as a celebrity game for some people. And it was great. It is like is, uh, it was the pinnacle. Is that one we can pick up somewhere or is it convention? It is. What, what, tell no. us where, where can we get it? <laughs> it, it is. It, the title of the book is the dread from Geneva Lake. It is available on the, uh, skeeter green productions website it is also available from mud puppy games my buddy jim wampler um yeah we're we're both selling physical copy cop copies see <laughs> i now i'm doing it we're selling them physical copies uh and i'm not sure if gary Khan still has some copies or not well jim uh, jim wampler lives around i've never i've never ran into i need to get him on this show i need to reach out to him because he lives right around me from what i understand yeah and, and, and from what i understand we have quite a few mutual friends as well so i need to be reaching out to him y'all have so are you involved in the uh what what is it they call it this the, the the independent printers union or something can you the independent publishers union. independent publishers union i'm curious to know a little more about the independent publishers union i love the name (laughs) so it's it's less of a union and more like the lamest biker gang you've ever seen in your life (laughs) what happened was um it, it was kind of this whole progression with um so zach glazer and i we had goddamn it zach Mm-hmm. which was a YouTube show that we would get on and we would just talk nonsense about gaming because YouTube let us have access to their channel. So we would get on and just, uh, we started by reviewing products and looking at them and just doing dumb stuff. And then we started interviewing people like, Hey, come on. So we can talk about, you know, we get you some love for your Kickstarter, whatever. And then that progressed into Zach and I doing the small publisher seminar. So we go to conventions and we talk, it started out, we talk for an hour, ask any questions, give some advice. Cause you know, we've gotten beat up in gaming. So don't make the mistakes we did. Now it's a two hour seminar and we, we go to the major conventions and do this. Uh, I've spoken on some other panels, but from the small publishers unit, a lot of the advice I was giving everybody else, I just decided, well, you know, I've got some buddies who are also small publishers and we can't afford to do table space at some of these conventions. Why don't we just get together and do it? And so we started doing that and splitting costs. And now we're kind of a thing and people are always coming up. Saying, so how do we join this independent publishers unit? I said, okay, So this is what you need to do. You need to find four 
other buddies that are in the same that you you know respect and you trust their guidance and you guys create your own small publishers union thing and they're like well how does that get us to be part of the independent publishers union like it doesn't you don't need to be (laughs) with us start your own thing do it get a group together you know prop each other up that's that's what i'm working on now is i don't want there to be especially in the small publisher arena i don't want there to be that pervasive business thought that you know you have to get market share and you have to you know you have to take your slice and and you can't be a you you have to be competitive all the time we're so small and and what we do is such boutique publishing there's enough consumer dollar to go around i mean in the independent publishers union it's me with sgp it's jim wampler with mud puppy games it's levi combs with planet x it's ian mcgarty and rocky gardner with silver boulet and our latest and our mind-blowing pickup is jeff Telanian with uh, hyperborea Oh, really? I didn't know. And astonishing swordsmen and sorcerers of this title is way too goddamn. (laughs) We've got a Hyperborea campaign that's been going on for about two and a half years. It'll be reaching its third year this fall. Awesome. It's been great. I got I got a couple editions of it up there on the shelf and I'm waiting for a third one to come in. (laughs) Yeah, um, Jeff, Jeff jumped on board with us uh, maybe a year ago. I think <clears throat> and it was it was just the buddy system because he he wanted to run games he didn't want to be stuck behind a vendor table all the time oh yeah um we have a couple of other guys who just that is not what they want to do but their strength is running games and then directing people to the booth and then you know uh rocky gardner from silver boulet he's he's a booth guy he gets all the sales he can work the ipad he can do point of sale like in his sleep and then i can just ramble talking mad shit for you know 12 hours a day (laughs) and and you've interviewed you've interviewed levi so you know he he can do it too so yeah we you know a couple of us rotate in and it's like a it's like a circus sideshow (laughs) It, it really is that's good. That sounds like a fun time. Now, we got quite a few listeners uh, to our podcast that are independent publishers putting out zines and things like that. And we've yeah. had some of them on and whatnot. So I'm just curious, is there anything that you have learned over the years that they might take or benefit from or that you would say a few tips or tricks you could tell people? <laughs> Um, maybe some of what you you maybe we could get a little free free glimpse of some of the stuff that you you talk about when you go to some of these cons and do some of that (laughs) oh for sure um some of the biggest things we try to just inundate people with is be authentic don't write or try to put out something that you don't believe in because people can see it if you're just trying to cash in or make a buck it looks like you're trying to cash in and make a buck um never hesitate to ask questions get your buddies together show them your product and say hey is this good does this suck i still do it 
with with all the IPU guys, um, and they have been in some cases brutally honest. Of, <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that. That that is awful. Uh, the the cover for part four of Valley Out of Time went through a couple of iterations because I showed them and they were like, nope, <laughs> just like don't do that, which is really helpful. But you have to be able to rely on those people and know that they have your best interest at heart. You it is really hard. The people who do uh, the publishing completely by themselves and put out good product, there's there's a few people out there. I don't know how they do it because I, I absolutely don't have the skill set to do that. Uh, you, you have to know what your boundaries are. You have to know what you're good at and you have to be open to letting go of certain things, which if you are a control freak like me, <laughs> that is very difficult thing to learn. Um, but yeah, there are people, if you're not great at something, there's somebody who's great at it and find them and at least ask questions. We're looking for the future. You've got two more, or actually four more issues of Valley Out of Time coming up. Is there anything else we can expect to see that might be coming out in the future? Well, strangely enough, <laughs> uh, so uh, Valley Out of Time, part three and four drops May 24th. Uh, parts five and six, I have everything on sticky notes up here. <laughs> so uh, part five and six is supposed to drop November 1st. So that will, that will close out the Valley out of time. Uh, there is a Mork Borg Ooh. Kickstarter that I'm going to be doing, uh, which is September. And I'm, I'm doing a, a pre-gen book and packet of just the pre-gen characters with awesome Morkborg art. So when it, it's basically designed for GMs, when they go to a game, they can just pull this out and hand them to people. They've got, they will end up having, uh, I think four of each class and then six generics. So you can, you can run these packets and the PDF, you can print out whatever you want. I still have to figure out how to do a, a printer friendly version because <laughs> the art is intense. Yeah. It's, that's the thing about some of the Mork Borg stuff. You try to print PDF because all the color and stuff used that it, it, it is difficult to print black and white is much easier to print most of the time. <laughs> right. And, and I think in the PDF, what I'll do is I'll have everything that is going to go to print in there and then i'll just add x amount of pages that are just black and white hey crank this out you know and oh, it'll yeah. be it'll be white paper with black print it'll be very printer friendly i'll i'm gonna do that and then and then <laughs> after all of that once i get through valley uh i am printing uh um, I'm going to do a Morkborg book called uh, House in Hogwailer Wood. And if you have any familiarity with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, I have a little too much familiarity. <laughs> it's, it's the Morkborg adventure that you want as Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. So, yeah, that, that is the short-term plan through... 
uh, first quarter of 2023, <laughs> assuming there's no major, you know, upheaval Hiccups. like, uh, <laughs> you know, world wars or Ooh. pandemics or, you know, just the earth cracking open like an egg. I got my fingers crossed. Hopefully things are, go positively. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. One last thing. Could you let the listeners know where they can find you online and find your stuff and pick it up? Yeah. uh, My website is, I'm trying to get it right now, uh, skeetergreenproductions.com. I know that is long, but sgp.com was taken. So uh, that's my website. I am also on DriveThruRPG for PDFs. Uh, Mud Puppy Games, uh, Jim Wampler's brand carries some SGP stuff. And hopefully very soon, I will be finalizing my deal with the Exalted Funeral. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, and Noble Knight Games. They, they have some as well. So, yeah, trying to get out there more. <laughs> well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please leave us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us, Wobblies and Wizards, on Facebook. Just search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at LogarHaleCrom. We're on Patreon. You can support us there. We can really use any support you can give us. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards and keep those dice rolling. 